Python is taking over much of the development world as it quickly is becoming one of the, or simply the most, widely used programming languages. But that does not mean that Python is without its weaknesses. In my mind, there are three such weaknesses. Number one, GUI applications, desktop applications, that kind of thing. Number two, a native general purpose mobile app for iOS and Android framework that we can build that in Python. And number three, deployment. So that is a single binary or set of binary and resource files that I can send either to a mobile device or to a desktop app or to a server, and it just runs regardless of what they have installed on their system. This episode is primarily about, number one, the GUI frameworks. One of the best frameworks out there looking to make Python a better language for desktop applications is Qt, namely Qt for Python. This week, you'll meet Christian Mareria Fredes from Qt to tell us all about the revitalization of Qt in the Python space. But you also learn they have aspirations to make Qt for Python an option for mobile app development and to solve the deployment problem as well. That hits all three of the weak spots I was telling you about. We can only be rooting for them to solve these problems. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 183, recorded October 10th, 2018. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. Christian, welcome to Talk Python to Me. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. I'm very much looking forward to talking about Python GUIs, something I would love to spread the word about, something I would like to see more options for. And it seems like you are doing great work around that. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's why I'm here. I mean, Qt for Python is uh, something kind of new for the Qt project itself. So I'm looking forward to to discuss more things about it. Yeah, exactly. It seems like there's a real revitalization around that project, which is awesome. Before we get to that, though, let's start with your story. How did you get into programming in Python? Well, everything started uh, when I started uh, in the university. I had no knowledge of programming whatsoever. I still remember the first class on the Blackboard. There was an X equals to X plus one. I make no mathematical sense to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was uh, mainly in C, but uh, on the second year, there was some weird class talking about Python that you didn't know. And from that day on, I mean, I started to do things by myself and then here I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. So you had a formal computer science degree uh, program you went through? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in my country, I'm from Chile, uh, there is like something called like informatics engineer. So there is more like a computer science with like the bit more of like how company works and everything like that. So it's like a six year or something of study. Oh, that sounds like a really cool project or a yeah. study, course of study. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and so how about today? What are you doing now? Well, we are currently uh, approaching uh, the official release of uh, Qt for Python. So we are really excited about it. But of course, uh, you will understand that there are many things to do. So we are, you know, I mean, today was like a normal day, stumping some bugs and trying to, to bring all the features for the final release that will happen at the end of the year. Uh, I'm very excited for that. So you work for the Qt company that makes... Yes, Qt. I... 
Yeah, exactly. I, I recently, well, not recently, at the beginning of this year, I, well, I, I'm here currently in Berlin. I was doing my PhD here, and then I decided to move it back to, to, the in, to industry. So I started to work at a company because I was aware of it. I mean, since like 2009 or something, I had some small projects on it, and I was really curious about it, what they were doing. And there was this opening, I apply, and I started to work here, yeah, in the uh, company. So excellent. So I guess a good place to start is just what is cute because we have things like PySide and PyCute and Cute for Python, mm -hmm. but Cute is a, a UI framework much larger than just Python, right? Right. I mean, the, to be honest, I mean, when I the first started to work in Cute for me it was just a library to do interfaces, right? So, but with the with the all the other years of experience, I started to notice that it's really more than a cross-platform application framework. And I mean, I noticed that uh, even for C++ users, you were able to to write some scripts and combine and have some tools for SQL or any like sockets and modules for everything that you can imagine. I mean, the, the modules are really a lot and and uh, the things that you can do are really uh, unimaginable. So. so let me see if I have my conception correct. I'll bounce this off you. You let me know. So for me, it seems like Qt is a framework for building cross-platform applications. Much, yes. of that, much of that is GUI, but there's also things like custom threading things. And like you said, other, other libraries as well. Is that, is that a pretty good summary? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good summary. That's the summary when I start the, the, my talks. About it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. Yeah, so I guess I have a pretty good conception of it. And I feel like the apps built in Qt are, are really nice because they seem they seem like they belong on the application that or on the OS or platform they're running on. I feel like so many of these cross-platform things just stand out like a sore thumb. One, a lot of them look like they're from like you know nine. 1990. The others, you're like, whoa, that is not what a button looks like on Mac OS or on Windows or whatever it happens to be here on, right? Exactly. Yeah, my first experience, for example, I remember uh, when I was uh, learning Python, I wanted to do some simple application. I tried to to use uh, TK, you know, TK yeah. Inter. Yeah. Uh, I tried it. I mean, I admire the work, but I mean, Inter interface don't look really well there and then i started to move around and everything I mean, and of course i'm aware that you know that for example one of the biggest projects that uses Qt is kde and at least when i started with linux it was the most like you know graphical appealing uh, environment for me so yeah, yeah that's really nice that's, that's really great so let's bring this conversation over to python now and maybe we could do a quick tour of what are our options for building python guis at all. I mean, you brought up um, TK Enter. Well, obviously, we have Qt, Qt for Python nowadays. Um, there's other things like WX Python. Do you want to give us a quick tour of what our options are? Well, I mean, you, you mentioned like the main ones, right? I mean, if you go into the wiki page, for example, you can see that the list is like uh, over 30 different modules to do different things and uh, but of course not not all of them are active now so personally the one that i am aware of that they are currently developed are like the tk inter i mean the wx python there is also pycute another set of bindings for for Qt. And also there is a, another one called, uh, what's the name, Kiwi, that mm -hmm. they also lately I have heard a lot uh, in Hacker News and Reddit. Like, so I think it is uh, quite becoming a little bit famous. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Kiwi's doing good stuff. I feel like it's it's really focused on more on like game experiences and yeah. something like QT, you could build 
you know, a traditional application, right? You could build Visual Studio Code or, or PyCharm or, or a web browser or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as you can see, I mean, uh, at the beginning, of course, for me, KDE was the, the, the biggest and only project. But uh, with the time, I mean, uh, you can notice that uh, nowadays with all this data science boom, you can find like tools like Tableau, for example, that is written in using Qt or the latest version of uh, VirtualBox and VLC. And not even there, I mean, because since I joined the company, I noticed that, uh, okay, I mean, when I was saying that this is a company, I mean, do we have other clients or outside, uh, you know, open source projects? And I noticed that, for example, many companies in the automotive industry are using it right now. I mean, and of course, since we're in Germany, uh, there's Mercedes and also lately uh, Peugeot announced something like uh, that uh, they were including Qt. But most importantly, at least for me, <laughs> for my geek uh, standards, that's <laughs> that uh, the cockpit of the Tesla car, for example, is designed using one of the Qt technologies. So that was that really is cool. impressive. Yeah, it was impressive for me. Yeah, Tesla is definitely one of the more, you know, turned on car companies in terms of technology. So that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And you also have, you said that it's in uh, LG smart TVs. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, there is a couple of these TVs that have some menu. Well, I don't know how to describe it, but this is on the bottom that you have like uh, different uh, elements of the menu and stuff. And that's also written with uh, with Qt. And uh, there is also some entertainment system by different electronic companies. And I mean, uh, this is not just the, the official clients of Qt, right? I mean, you know, it's an open source project also. So there are many companies out there. And uh, likely on the, the latest conference that I, I went, for example, I met people of the biggest companies that approached me as, ah, yes, we are using Qt for some internal uh, project and everything. So, of course, we have a lot of open source uh, clients too. So uh, That's really cool. I've talked to some companies even thinking about using it for devices little embedded yeah. devices and stuff. Yeah, that's really a hot topic right now. And I mean, I I, I didn't have the, the luck yet to, to work on an embedded system, but uh, there is a lot of people doing a lot of work on embedded system and devices. So, and every time that there are conference, I mean, those are the things that steal the show. I mean, all this embedded system that we have and comparison with other technologies, but yeah, sadly, I don't, I'm not an expert on that field, <laughs> but uh, maybe next time we can go further. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, it feels like Kickstarter should be involved. A little, little cute, a little Kickstarter. <laughs> and yeah, some, something yeah, awesome could be launched, yeah. <laughs> uh, very, very cool. So the reason I reached out to you guys is we did this overview of the various GUI options. And, you know, those folks who listen to my other podcast, Python Bytes, know that we've gone over so many options. And there's there are a bunch of them, but I feel like, like I said, Qt is one of the more... It looks native, and it seems like you can build really nice apps with it. But for a while, there had been this... I don't know, this sort of almost discontent where we had, what, PySide, we had PySide 2, we yeah. had Qt, you know, PyQt for Qt, Qt 4 and then Qt 5. <laughs> and it was like, well, what is the license model? What one is up to date? What should we do? Can you just sort of uh, let us know, you know, why did you guys work on Qt for Python and and you know what is the state of that whole conversation there? Yeah, well, I mean, the story is a little bit longer, uh, but uh, mainly it started with like uh, there was some uh, some collaborations of Qt in a different country. I think it was Brazil, and they decided to start a new set of bindings uh, for Qt, and they, they, the the PySide project was born. 
And then maybe I mean, you the define Q- that real quick for folks. Like when you say binding, what do you mean? These are these are like ah, okay. Python libraries binding. that we can use in Python, but they talk to the C API. Exactly. I mean, okay. there is some C Python code that will be like connected to 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 C libraries. So that's why how we can expose this C plus uh, framework to Python world. So we have some some glue in the middle that uh, uh, maybe later we can we can discuss. But uh, yeah, I mean, I know that it's confusing about the names, but I mean, it's it's really depending on the on the the changes of the of the Qt projects because I mean there was some Nokia related things in and going on in the middle and then there was like no Nokia uh, and then the project started to evolve the Qt was uh, Qt four back then and then they said okay but now it's Qt five so what do we do and there was some effort by the community to started to to port it and that's why PySite two was born because and now there was support for Qt five but um, the problem is that uh, in, at the company, we didn't want to focus just in the module. And this is really important for me to say because Qt for Python is not just the module. I mean, we have uh, a lot of ideas and things going on that uh, will try to complement this uh, PySci2 module that currently we have. Okay, that sounds very interesting. So where does Qt for Python fit? Is this just you taking over the PySci2 project? Is this something different? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, at the beginning, it was uh, associated with Qt, but not officially supported. So now the move, all this uh, noise that we have been generating is because we are officially supporting PySide 2 as a module in, in one of the Qt products. So that means that any person that wants to start to use Qt by open source will have the options to get uh, PySide 2 as a module, also to play around with Python. Or if you're a client, for example, and you want to have some commercial license and everything, you will have the option also to get this official supported bindings that can allow you to use Qt from Python. That sounds awesome. I'm really excited to hear that you're you know, focusing full effort on, on this GUI platform for Python. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's going to be great. And you said the official first release of this Qt for Python update is targeted at the end of the year? Yeah, well, at the moment, uh, well, the, the project was uh, he- being heavily developed and um, we decided to, to give it a, a try. So we, we generated the first set of wheels that we released on PyPy, like in June, I think. But of course, this was under the technical preview label. So of course, use it at your own risk. <laughs> but uh, we are currently like uh, reaching a maturity uh, stage that we, we, we are sure that uh, by the end of the year, which is the the release of Qt 5.12, uh, we will include the official uh, wheels without the technical preview tag. So yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Oh, that's going to be super cool. Now, you're talking about wheels. So that's when I pip install a thing, and, you know, downloads it and installs it in a, a nice, simple, Pythonic way. Exactly. I, I believe previously in the PySide, PyQt days, that was harder to basically deploy an app that was built on Qt or one of those frameworks, right? Mm, right, right. So, so go ahead. Yeah, no, but I mean, I mean, the... If you well, even uh, before, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know that you have been using Python for a lot of time, but uh, even the time with X, you know, that X was first <laughs> before <laughs> before the wheel. It was quite com- complicated to generate this, this kind of like uh, projects and stuff, and I always was struggling with this. But uh, yeah, at the moment, for example, many users ask us like how to deploy applications, how to to move these things around. But uh, yeah, we usually encourage people to use PyInstaller. But uh, yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert, that's one of the things that we are trying currently working on like uh, to 
to trying to to help the users to provide ways to deploy the application in a more easy way because Qt is cross-platform, so of course you would like to have some binary that uh, you can like move around and try to to execute and try to don't worry about on which platform you are running. Oh, you guys would take it up a level if you did that. I mean, if, <laughs> if there was a build my project for Mac OS, build my project for Linux, and here's the thing you give your users or you put on your website. Seriously, that I mean, you already have one of the best cross-platform frameworks. And if you could solve the deployment problem for Python, oh, it would be yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, there are a few options out there. I mean, currently, and there was some our blog, there was a story of uh, another system that was called FBS, which is a, yep. a, a guy that we had the pleasure to talk with. And also he has some small project that is starting to uh, to attack this problem because it's really, I mean, it's like every day someone on IRC is asking about like, how do I deploy my application? How can I integrate this with other tools and everything? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the F-Man build system from Michael Herman. That's, that's pretty yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. that's a pretty promising project and if you could get some sweet integration where you know a lot of yeah it, it seems really really nice and he's doing a lot of stuff with cute so yeah. that, that's cool that you guys are talking yeah uh, i think it's already though it's already better that you can pip install dash r requirements.txt or you know pip mm -hmm. your world and you just get the qt runtime or cute runtime excuse me which it doesn't mean like, oh, go get this weird installer from some other place that you're not really sure, install that, right? It's, it's, it's nice to have it just come already. And if you could get like a true binary, then that would solve, I think that would really be something. Yeah, even internally, I mean, there were many people, I mean, since it's a longstanding company using C++, I mean, a couple of people that they were recently joining the company when they first tried it, and they said like, I just pip installed PySide 2 and I have everything now from Python. I mean, which kind of magic is this? I mean, they were not even aware of like how fast it can be. And and I think this is one of the main reasons the, that uh, why the, the Qt company wanted to officially support Python right because i mean i mean this is a podcast about python so we don't need to convince people about it but <laughs> but uh, no. <laughs> you know you, you would be surprised there's a lot of people that listen that maybe python is not their main language or they're just getting started and they're still exploring you'd be surprised so there's a, probably a lot of people who you know still even, even if they've been doing python for 20 years maybe they're like well it's great for websites and backends, but I'm not going to build my UI in Python, right? So convince yeah. us, yeah, convince us why Python. <laughs> I I think it's well, great if you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every single person that is touching code at some point is aware of Stack Overflow. And for example, I remember that uh, this year's uh, Stack Overflow Insights were showing how popular Python was becoming. I mean, after all these years, I remember back in the day that uh, in the university I was like, there were the Perl people and the Python people, and of course, all the Perl people are the devil and we will not talk about Perl, but uh, currently you can see that even some uh, index that uh, like measure the amount of questions or, or uh, I don't know, uh, search queries about uh, programming, like the TOB index, for example, they were showing Python approaching the top three. Yeah, and uh, not even that, uh, not even like general users, because I mean, I have also some background in academia. In academia, when I was doing my PhD, I encountered that most of the all researchers were using programming languages like Fortran, for example, but all the new ones were using Python. And that's how we have now the IPython notebooks that now are called Jupyter Project and all these data science related things that is mainly using with Python. I mean, and you you cannot like uh, expect for some like new position that the sciences to ask uh, for, I don't know, C or Fortran. That's really, really, really in the past. So I think that's a key. This portion of Talk Python to me is brought to you by Linode. 
Are you looking for bulletproof hosting that's fast, simple, and incredibly affordable? Look past that bookstore and check out Linode at talkpython.fm slash Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E. Plans start at just $5 a month for a dedicated server with a gig of RAM. They have 10 data centers across the globe, so no matter where you are, there's a data center near you. Whether you want to run your Python web app, host a private Git server or file server, you'll get native SSDs on all the machines, a newly upgraded 200 gigabit network, 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. Do you need a little help with your infrastructure? They even offer professional services to help you get started with architecture, migrations, and more. Get a dedicated server for free for the next four months. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Linode. Yeah, is the Q company largely a C++ organization, given that a lot of the main product is in C? Yeah, yeah, of course. We have some automations and internal tools, but you can find that people knowing about many other programming languages. I mean, I know that they're like uh, uh, also Perl experts or guys using Python for automating tasks, uh, or maybe they, they, they have some system built with Go and everything like that. I mean, but I mean, it's um, my, the majority of the users and the community around is like purely C++ experts. Right, right. I feel like the, the package management aspect, you know, hip install, anti-gravity, for example, type of things, really is something that Python brings. It's so special compared to, say, C and C++, right? It's, it's just a, a different level of productivity completely, entirely. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, that's one of the reasons that uh, we're trying to use, for example, to, to try to, not to convince, but uh, to, to bring Python to C++ developer. I mean, like how fast something could be to to start something. I mean, even if you want to have a small uh, GUI that does something with clicking some buttons, you know that in C++, at least you have writing the code, compiling the code, and executing. And if you <laughs> want to skip one of these steps, which is to just write your code and execute it, I think that's really uh, amazing. And that's right. one of the main reasons that's why I started to, to even spread the word about Python in general when I was studying and my, my PhD also. And that, yeah, that's the main motivation that we currently have as a company. Yeah, that's cool. I, I agree. I think you missed a step. It's also the figure out why that seg fault is happening. <laughs> <laughs> also. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's day, day by day, all the people at the team is dealing with all these sex faults just for to, to provide user for a sex fault free <laughs> environment I guess yeah. I mean you know we are combining two worlds I mean yeah, we have the yeah. nightmares that sometimes have happened and on the other side we have all the C Python instructors so we try to combine these two things so debugging uh, the development of Qt for Python is uh, it's challenging but at the same time it's, it's a lot of it's a, it's a nice source of knowledge <laughs> yeah so yeah let's dig into how it works a little bit and I, I, I want to follow up on this uh, you know how you bridge these two worlds there's a lot of interesting possibilities there yeah. so how do we go from cute code cute headers and, and widgets and stuff to generating what is uh, at code level called PySide 2 Okay, so the thing that we do is that uh, the original idea was to extract all this information from the cute headers and for this we use uh, we use Clang and also have some internal tool that's called Shiboken, with that allows you to allow us to to modify these headers because I mean you know sometimes you have in C some void star or you know some double star uh, pointers and stuff like that so we need to manually transform all these things and bring everything to the Python world so right because Python, Python doesn't have a void star star type right. Exactly. So we need okay. to do some black magic inside and under the hood that uh, allows you to use the <laughs> method that uh, includes some void star things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so 
there's the C definite C C definition of how to directly natively work with Qt, and mm-hmm. then use this thing called Shiboken, which generates modules that interact that are basically for C Python that can then talk to it. Uh, so, are you using um, like CFFI or the C API, or how how does that work? That's the uh, magic. I mean, uh, back in the day, with the developers started with Python, they started to use uh, Boost Python. That uh, personally, I know that I have have been using, but uh, I don't know if you have experience with it. But, I have uh, no. What's Boost Python? Boost Python is just just the same idea, and it allows you to generate bindings for Python from some C plus plus project. But the problem with this is that, um, and it was main the main problem back then, is that uh, there is uh, a lot of use of templates. C++, which is one of the obscure areas of C++ world. And this also increased the size of the, the binaries that you're generating. So the, the developers back then, they said, okay, uh, what is the best solution right now? Let's write our own binding generator. <laughs> so right. it was heavily inspiring Boost Python and trying to remove the template situation. And there is this type system thing that I mentioned. This is a pure XML file with some directives of modifying signatures, for example, of the methods. And then uh, you can use this to generate the C Python code that you can compile and transform in, in Python module. Okay, it sounds very interesting. And I recently learned that you can take this, Shaboken, and you can apply it to any C library, potentially. Not It's not just for Qt, right? So this could be a useful tool for people who actually don't care about UIs. Yes, exactly. I mean, as soon as we started to release the official set of wheels, we started to get people like, oh, I want to generate the bindings for my project and everything. And uh, yeah, it's possible to, I mean, I encourage people to take a look in our blog that there was a post there that to write Python bindings for a C++ project without any Qt on it. So of course, I mean, it's something that is still under development and it's open source. So there is still some incompatibilities. For example, we have some issues with templates when you, if your project has some templates, but um, and also maybe smart pointers and things like that. But uh, in general, at least for us, it do the work. And we are planning now that once the release, the visual raises out, that the open source community will react and will help us to improve Chivokin itself. Yeah, it sounds like a really useful tool on its own. Help me understand why or, or how this might differ from saying uh, using something like Cython or, or something like, like would another reasonable path be to write part of your code in Cython and directly interact with the C part? Well, in Cython is just to, I, I, at least I use it just for, for optimizing some, some Python code. But since we needed to create this bridge, you know, to have this glue between C++ and Python world, I think that the generator was needed. And there are other options like that, I mean, out there that uh, you mentioned, for example, the CFFI, and also there is a nice, uh, what was the name of this module, PyBind11, that also the allows you to, you know, to generate this, uh, the, the link between these two worlds. So I think that uh, it's Chiboken will be in one of the nice options out there, but uh, still, I think that we need to, uh, there's a lot of things to be done there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, interesting. Let's talk first at a high level about what some of the modules are. You touched on this a little bit, but what do we get? What do we have to work with when we work with PySide 2? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's uh, sometimes can be really overwhelming for people to meet Qute in the sense of that there are so many things to do. But uh, I mean, for the, the users that are starting with generating graphical inter- user interfaces, that we have like three main modules in Qt that are, of course, exposed in the in Qt for Python. So the Qt core, the one that has all the, the like basic definitions of types and classes that uh, you will use. And then we have some 
GUI elements that, for example, you, you can uh, encounter there some like the base of how a, a widget is created, for example, pixels or, you know, uh, lines and stuff like that. And then you have uh, widgets, which is the more general one that ha exposes, you know, pre-made things. Like if you have a button, a group box, a checkbox and everything. So usually all the examples code that we currently have, most of them use these three modules of, for, for different functionality. But uh, a normal user, I think I will play around Qt widgets and maybe Qt core for getting a few things. Right. You also have things like Qt charts, Qt multimedia, yeah. and te testing even, right? Yeah, well, th that's the thing. I mean, there are many other modules that allow you to do things with Qt that uh, sometimes are exposed in Python natively. For example, we decided so there is a few mathematical uh, modules that uh, we decided not to expose to, to, to Qt for Python directly. Uh, because, of course, you have the math module in Python or you have any other uh, numerical library there, right? So, but Qt charts, for example, is the one that gets more of our attentions. At least there is a couple of nice examples in our code base that uh, really brings people to joy to say, oh my God, yes, it's so easy. And they can combine it with uh, any other numerical or data uh, sources that they have. So that's yeah. cool. So, if I was doing like scikit, numpy, those types of things, I could take that data and visualize it and say like a QT chart or something like that, or QT chart. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. I mean, that's uh, one of the, the, the nice things that we are doing. Of course, since all the, the, the API that we use is C++ based, we are now in a moment of defining like a, how to break this API, but not in a bad sense, but in, a, in the sense of like um, bringing uh, Qt for Python in a more compatible way for Python world. So nowadays, for example, there is a lot of research being done of, of like allowing NumPy or, Sci, uh, or SciPy uh, types into Qt uh, methods and classes. So no, that is awesome because it's in C, <laughs> in NumPy, yeah. for example, right? Like why does it have to go into Python then back out into another C layer, right? Like if you could just say, hey, you, you're all down there, figure that out. Yeah, no, no, exactly. That's the thing that we need to, to, to see what is underneath all these amazing NumPy arrays and, and mm -hmm. see how we can make it compatible with the, the, the signatures of the method, for example. And pandas and whatnot. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, exactly. Yeah. All right. So one of the things that really appeals to me with building GUI applications is a visual designer. I know you can write code. And I know you can specify it out, but being able to say, here's a button, I'm going to put that button next to that input box, you know, and just <laughs> yeah. drag it there. And then like, I'd like to, you know, have this method called when I click it. So I wire up a event to, it, you know, a callback to it. So the Qt project has something like this, right? Yeah, exactly. So there is a, we have the, our own IDE which is called Qt Creator. And inside this ID, I mean, I was, I, I confess, I mean, I, even when I started to work there, I was uh, really not into this uh, ID because I preferred to use Veeam, for example. But I started to discover the amount of things that you can do inside, and it's quite remarkable. I mean, it's my, for example, way to go for debugging applications nowadays. And uh, But now that you mentioned the designer, you also have an ability of design interfaces, like, uh, you know, the principle, what you see is what you get. So mm -hmm. you start to drag and drop things move things around, then you generate some kind of scheme, right? So this scheme will be translated into a UI file, which is something, of course, internally of uh, Qt. And then with this UI file, you can do as you want. I mean, you can use it in your C++ project or you can use it for Python, for example. You can load it dynamically or even generating some Python code from this UI file. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Rollbar. Got a question for you. Have you been outsourcing your bug discovery to your users? 
have you been making them send you bug reports? You know there's two problems with that. You can't discover all the bugs this way. And some users don't bother reporting bugs at all. They just leave, sometimes forever. The best software teams practice proactive error monitoring. They detect all the errors in their production apps and services in real time and debug important errors in minutes or hours, sometimes before users even notice. Teams from companies like Twilio, Instacart, and CircleCI use Rollbar to do this. With Rollbar, you get a real-time feed of all the errors so you know exactly what's broken in production. And Rollbar automatically collects all the relevant data and metadata you need to debug the errors so you don't have to sift through logs. If you aren't using Rollbar yet, they have a special offer for you, and it's really awesome. Sign up and install Rollbar at talkpython.fm rollbar, and Rollbar will send you a $100 gift card to use at the Open Collective, where you can donate to any of the 900-plus projects listed under the Open Source Collective or to the Women Who Code organization. Get notified of errors in real time and make a difference in open source. Visit talkpython.fm rollbar today. When you start talking about editors, that's a very sensitive, <laughs> a very, uh, yes, a very sensitive thing, you know, I, for me as well, right? Yeah. It sounds to me like I can take the cute creator, which is what that IDE you're talking about is called, right? I can take that and I can define my UI files, but then I could still use my other editor to write the main code or something like this if I wanted? Well, I mean, yes, but uh, again, that's another spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there, we are working on a um, proper integration with Qt Creator. At the moment, I mean, you can use it to code your applications and everything, and everything is there, syntax highlight, and now we have even some testing phase for auto-completion. But the problem is that we don't want to just provide a nice uh, editor and that's it. I mean, we want to integrate more options and a more like a better integration for with the Qt project. So just the thing that you mentioned about deployment or maybe transfer or creating base projects in Python. So everything of this is in our like to-do list of like a, what is the, the future of the project. So that's why we are so looking forward to release it as soon as possible to start to work on these features. And now, I mean, lately in the last post that we have from Qt Python, we had some intern that was working with us and he managed to, for example, even extend the same IDE, Qt Creator, with Python scripts. And this is something that is really new because in the past it was just C++, but now since we have PySide 2, you are allowed or you will be allowed to modify the IDE even with Python. So we are Pythonizing everything. <laughs> that is cool. So basically I could write like extensions or plugins or whatever you call it for Qt Creator in Python? Exactly. Exactly. That's, uh, that's the idea. <laughs> that's cool. So I guess that brings up another thought for me is, you know, so much of Qt is in C and they have the entire API is, is C++ based and whatnot. Do you see people writing part of their application in C++, but then maybe hosting the C Python runtime so that other people can extend their applications with Python or does that not yeah. really happen? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, I was expecting less people doing this, but uh, it's crazy by the amount of uh, questions that we receive every day that, uh, yeah, most of the people out there with some uh, from companies and even like uh, some startups and stuff, they are trying to extend C++ application in the same idea that we are presenting for Qt Creator, and they are trying to use uh, PySide for it. So we have, uh, for example, uh, the same idea of writing plugins for your application is being done by any other project. One of our clients, for example, which is the, the, the graphical effects industry, it's called Autodesk. They are oh, also yeah. allow using uh, users to extend the application itself, writing the plugins with PySide, and, and also 
also like I have heard some stories of people also with some big C++ projects trying to allow users to write Python stuff. So yeah, this is, is totally possible. Okay, how uh, how interesting. So I guess some other areas you might try to work on is we talked about embedded systems a little bit. Uh, what about mobile? Yeah, well, mobile is something that uh, every time that we go to some conference or talk, there is the question about what about mobile support? <laughs> people it's pull up their phone and they're like, here, exactly. I exactly. want it here. <laughs> Billions of people are here. How do I do this? Are you working on this? Yeah, well, this is something that uh, at least would be like the... Also, another thing in our to-do list, but uh, we are focusing on the previous topic before. But uh, yeah, it's something that we need to do. We need to achieve. I mean, at the moment, you have the option to to go around by with uh, iOS or Android with Qt. There are some options even in Qt Creator to deploy C++ applications to it. But uh, yeah, it's something that is is really pending on us. But uh, uh, it's something that we totally would like to do because even though if you don't have the same feeling and you cannot compete with a uh, native stuff like uh, Android and Java and stuff, uh, there's a lot of things to be done there. I mean, you can see like all the revolution that Kotlin has after it was introduced in Android that uh, of course is kind of, kind of red, getting rid of all the Java ugly code and bringing some new stuff on it. So yeah, we are totally want to be a part of <laughs> that movement too. Oh, I would love for you guys to be part of that if, if you're bringing Python along for the party. That'd be cool. It's, yeah. inter- it's really kind of surprising to me I, that Kotlin, which is a language created by JetBrains, maybe in the last five years, it's not very old, actually almost displaced Java over in the Android space, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you have some experience with with Java, I mean, you will understand the pain. I mean, sadly, I have some experience too. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it was really frustrating even to writing small pieces of code. And at least for me, Kotlin, I always have the same idea that the the person behind Kotlin, the people behind Kotlin, like really decided to write something in a more Pythonistic way. I mean, we cannot deny it. I mean, it's really has a lot of Python on it. And even the way of writing some stuff is like, hmm, this Sounds like Python. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they, they try and they had Python in, in mind when trying to write it. So, yeah, interesting. I really haven't done very much with Kotlin. So, maybe I should check it out. It sounds, yeah, it's quite nice. It sounds interesting. Yeah, there was an article, I can't remember where it was. It was on some major unexpected you know, magazine or uh, news source that was talking about the future of programming languages. And it says, you know, one of the predictions was that Python is going to be the, the great grandfather of many, many programming languages. I think that's probably true, and this sounds a little bit like that. Uh, you have Swift as well. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Well, I haven't, I haven't tried Swift, but uh, I think it's yeah. Python is a whole new starting point for for the future generations <laughs> and, and programming, and because it's bringing something that is simplicity, right? I mean, you know, I mean, the first time that I encountered Python it was so easy to do things. I mean, you you didn't know like uh, to ah, oh, there was a semicolon or what, or you know, open brackets, closing brackets, or what is the stars? Or, yeah, you know, it was simple. Yeah. That's the people trying to move it for yeah it, it's so interesting that when you come from one of these these c based languages or something like c++ c sharp java whatever even javascript you feel like oh all these curly braces are required all these parentheses around the if statement are required and then you come work on python and it, you know it, it's a bit of a shock to the system for sure yeah, you're like wait a minute spacing matters there's no curly braces where's it but then you know after just a week if you go back to the other language. You're like, what is all this stuff? Like, you're right. Why, these parentheses here are not necessary. Why do I have to type all this stuff? Yes. And I remember uh, back in the university, even teaching uh, C, it was really a nightmare because, I mean, we all write 
code and even write normal like with handwriting and stuff uh, differently but having this space requirements it's something that is so enlightening for for writing code and I, I mean it's really difficult to write ugly python code but i have seen like i mean you, you maybe you're aware of even like this uh, obfuscated code uh, tournaments that you have this <laughs> yes code, uh, that's you know, so are... <laughs> interesting yeah tell people about that because i i remember just being blown away uh, well from i mean it. the whole idea of obfuscated code is that to write code that can when you see the code, it resembles something. And usually are really cryptic things and moving bytes around and stuff. And for example, I remember the one more, the most shocking to me was something about like a circle made with dots and a slash and stuff like that. And then when you compile the circle and you execute it, you get the value of P. And I was like, what? <laughs> that and is I was like, beautiful. It's really weird. But I, mean, I mean, with Python, I mean, luckily we don't, we'll not have this kind of obfuscated comp uh, tournaments <laughs> or something because that would be a nice. Yeah, it definitely goes against the Zen of Python uh, for sure. Yeah, totally. Really cool. So speaking of um, styles and stuff coming together and worlds clashing, something that was surprising to me and I'd like to ask you about is when I look at the PySide 2 or just PySide, the, the APIs here, they all mm -hmm. look C style, you know, lowercase first variable and then uppercase second uh, as first letter, then uppercase second, like compacted yeah. word or, or composite word. Yeah. yeah so as opposed to snake, you know, in the snake case of the underscores and all lowercase. And so what's the story with this semi non Pythonic? Python API. This is really a hot topic. Every time that uh, I bring the talk about Qt for Python with C++ developers, Java developers, or even Python developers, everyone is hard to fight to each other because there is some things that we cannot break in the sense of like, the reason, for example, for keeping the Camel case for the Qt API is because every person that already knows Qt or has some project in Qt it will be so easy for them to just rewrite code in a Python way using the same API. Because if we start to replace all the camel cases for underscore, which is the Python way of doing it, we will break everything. And people will start to run examples, for example, from C++, and it will be unable to, to decipher how to write these things in Python. So we said, okay, we need to settle somewhere. So everything, every time that we use the Qt API, we will use camel case, but Every, everything else will be following the, the, all the peps that we want and the Python styling. So that's why we, the examples look a little bit mixed. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it is the best uh, balance for the two worlds. And we're not the ones, uh, the only ones. I think that there is, I think IO or I don't know, there is another module in Python that used camel case for the API. I'm not sure about it, but I mean, I think that it's a nice solution. <laughs> yeah, I have seen it before. I can't remember where it was either, but I'm like, wait, why is this library, you know, got this style? And I think it was in the standard library. That's that's funny. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's a bit of a trade-off, right? Like, yeah, you've already got this code that exists, and if you're going to generate it, there's this sort of easiest to generate exactly the same names if you, you don't have to necessarily do the documentation as, as differently. Yeah, and even for us, for translating examples, for example, uh, we have like, we, we grab all, any function written in C++, then we copy it to the Python, we remove the brackets, we check the consistency, we remove all the semicolons, and that's it. I mean, then you have it. <laughs> Look at all the complicated stuff you take it away, all the unnecessary uh, symbolic stuff that's hanging around, and look, it's a yeah. Python version. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen other frameworks like where they 
have something that would, ultimately it's a C API underneath and it, it supports different languages. And they've taught the basically the equivalent of their Shaboken to say, if I'm generating Python, it looks like this. If I'm generating JavaScript, JavaScript has this coding convention. But I can see the argument also for just saying most of the people who are coming to this world are coming from the C++ world and their code looks like this. Let's not you know, shock them too much. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. But you have this debate often, huh? Yeah, I know. It's just something that is uh, even when we are writing the the code base of the projects, we have people that are really into uh, Python, people that really comes from C++. So when we are doing all the code reviews, we start to clash, you know, between like, ah, you need to live in a space. No, that's not C Python standard. No, that's C Python standard. So yeah, we need to <laughs> even agree with you among us. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So one thing that I saw showing up in the documentation and the API and stuff was this thing called signals and slots. Yeah. What's this and how does this look in Python? So yeah, I mean, signals and slots are the base of Qt. So the idea behind this is that uh, we treat every single element of the of the interface and also underneath as an object, as a queue object. So these objects can interact interact between them. And the idea of signals and slots is, is like that. I mean, an object will have something that will trigger something else. So let's put it like simple. If you have a button, then a button is also a queue object, and this button will have a special signal that it will call, for example, clicked, of course, because you can click the button. And then this click signal will trigger something else. So then you can have another function or method, or what you want to call it, that will be the slot of it. So every time that you click the button, you will do something. So it's a really basic principle, but I mean, this is the base of the whole of the whole Qt framework. So that's, that will be uh, roughly the same in, in, in Qt for Python, and we follow the same idea. We are not adding new signals or removing old ones. I mean, it's just keeping the same API. So that's really nice uh, of it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So this is the way to basically wire up uh, functions to be called exactly. for user interface events, mouse over, yeah, click, exactly. whatever. Exactly. The hover, yeah, trigger, everything, like check, uh, everything. So what's the performance look like if, I'm, if I've got a, a non-trivial C++ application written in Qt, and then I were to rewrite that in uh, Qt for Python... What would my experience be like? For general applications, like uh, even uh, big ones, like, uh, for example, a browser, personally, I, I haven't uh, performed any, like, a real test, you know, with uh, all milliseconds and stuff, but uh, I kind of notice, notice any, like, uh, lag or delays or on, on having something written in Python. And, and the only problem with time that will come, will see something uh, only if you are writing Python code that is slow. So if you start to, you know, iterate a list of lists of lists in the wrong way and then are accessing all the time to all the data, maybe you will, of course, encounter some yeah. some, some bad speed up for your application. But uh, roughly, um, for example, there is uh, a couple of uh, browsers that are reading as an example inside a Qt code that we had the Python version and we couldn't notice like any difference of like executing the C++ and the Python versions because they're quite simple and they're, again, fast. Because after all, I mean, we are just call, calling the C++ uh, uh, methods and functions underneath. So That's a really interesting bit there. Mm. I feel like when people talk about performance of Python, a lot of times they say, oh, it's way slower than C or whatever. But much of the time, if you're doing, say, like data science stuff or in the case of Qt, you're doing a little bit of Python orchestration around objects that are executing in C directly, right? So exactly. like in your web, your web browser example, you might say like if somebody types in the, the address bar and hits enter, 
you want it to drive the web browser widget to go to that address. But really the only Python code that executes is got a string, tell the, oh, yeah, the C, C like library that. to go drive the, the thing to this URL, right? And so it's, it's, it's only if you're actually doing like lots of computation directly in Python, right? Something yeah, I think like that. most most of these statements come from people that really are not really experienced on Python in the sense of like they try to rewrite a Java or C++ code in the same way. So you are aware of it that, of course, that if you write, for example, iterations on Python list or list comprehension, or maybe you have some some ways of optimizing your code, you can even reach like the same levels. And I think that this will just depend on the, how, uh, the amount of knowledge that the user can have, right? Because, I mean, of course, if you translate any C++ application with a lot of loops and everything into Python would be way slower. So we need to rethink the algorithms to use Python in the better way. Yeah, for sure. And I brought up the import anti-gravity. You know, so much of what I think would happen if you're coming from one of these other libraries that doesn't have as many foundational things to use is you just copy the code over and then you try to execute it on CPython. But instead of maybe some great big loop, you pip install a thing that has some optimized part of it, and you just call that, right? And, and that completely changes the story. So it's, it's pretty interesting. So you think it's a pretty reasonable thing to do to write cute <clears throat> yeah. application, GUI applications in Python. It's not going to be yeah. a complete night and day thing? Yeah, totally. I mean, at least that's my personal opinion. I'm looking forward for, for having some real cases of people that are doing like really weird things about like populating tables of like 1 million by time, 1 million and they have some speed issues. But uh, I think that we are open to it. We had a case uh, recently of um, there was a bug. There was a, some person that was populating a table, I think, uh, like uh, 100 times. And the table was like a huge. And of course, I mean, the, the user brought the, 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 the bug on it. But I mean, we didn't understand what was the real use of this. But um, we were quite open about it. And then we decided to start to optimize our code and some C++, even optimizations, for example, going to vectors instead of least and things like this. So uh, we're quite open about it. And every time that someone brings some speed issues to the IRC channel, we try to figure it out and try to solve it. Seems like you're doing a good job. Uh, it sounds great. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for a tough question? Yes, I am. <laughs> All right. So you said that this is available for open source projects for free, yeah. or there's a license that I can buy. So for exactly. open source license, for open source, it's under what? GPL, LGPL, LGPL, LGPL. So if I write, like, let's suppose I write a database management application, right? I want to have a new designer and graphical designer for like working with databases. I'm going to write that in Qt for Python. That would mean my application would have to be open source. Well, I mean, that's just following the LGPL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Right. So, yeah. But if I don't want that, what do I do? If I want to sell that product, for example. That's the thing. I mean, since, uh, of course, uh, Qt is based on this open, open source idea, and but we are also a company. Uh, we need to have some customers with some, you know, uh, support and everything. We sell license for commercial use. So this will allow you to, to, to build whatever you want in Qt and sell it as your own product and everything. So that's one of the things that uh, the Qt for Python project is, will bring to, to new customers that with this the same license, you will be allowed to build any application using the PySci 2 module and sell it if your business is about it. So 
that's one of the the nice things. And of course, and always, we will keep all the code open source and LGPL uh, related. So yeah. Right. Okay. What does that cost me? I really don't know the prices <laughs> at the moment, and but uh, I can I, I can point you to to any salesperson about. Yeah, yeah. No, but I really it really depends of the I think at uh, the size of the amount of licenses that you want to buy. Do you know how it's uh, portioned? Like, is it the number of customers I have? Is it the number of developers working on the project? I really don't know about it. I I think that it's based on the developers, but I I don't know that well either. Okay. But there is a, if I want to build commercial applications, there's a path for that. And if I want to build open source applications, there's a path for that. Exactly. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I guess, you know, you've touched on some of these things, but maybe just give you a chance to summarize it or bring anything we haven't mentioned yet. Where's this going? So at the end of the year-ish, we're going to have Qt 5.12 with Python, Qt for Python out and things like that. Then what? So yeah, I mean, the future that the only the only restriction that we currently have, the only constraint is that uh, we would like to have more people on board about it, because uh, we have a lot of ideas, and uh, but we don't have enough time as usual. So yeah, I mean, the our one number one I think task is the the Qt Creator integration. So to have a proper IDE to be compatible with uh, Qt and then to be able to deploy the applications and try to have everything on the same ecosystem, right? I mean, the designer and then build your, your UI files into Python files and everything. So I think that's one of the high priority. And this comes, with, of course, uh, at the hands of the, all the deployment uh, aspects that we want to cover. Uh, after that, it really will be uh, depending of the users that we have. I mean, we are really, really open about it. And every time on IRC, sometimes, sometimes we ask, what did you think that it would be better for, for the next step? Personally, I mean, I would like to go into after the Qt Creator and deployment, maybe for embedded system, because uh, I have been approached by many people that says, I have this Raspberry Pi, I have an application, and I really want to start to use Qt for Python. So please, what do I need to do? So there are a lot of people doing this. And after that, after embedded system, which is one of the strong uh, features of, of Qt, I think that we should we can totally go to, to mobile because I think it is something that people is asking for. And, and currently with the developments of them on the smartphone that we get every day and everything is something that it would be really nice to combine having your Qt desktop application, but also running on mobile tablets and yeah. phones and everything. I think if you guys can nail the deployment thing, I push a button and I have a macOS.app that I can <laughs> give to people, that would be a game changer. Similarly, yeah. if you say I can push a button and here's the thing I put in the iOS or Android App Store, uh, Google Play, also you know, massively a game changer. So I, <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to hear this and I wish you good luck on the journey because we all need it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. All right. Well, I think we pretty much covered the topic. I know there's a lot more we could go into, but it's, it's a good introduction yeah. for people. So cute for Python. I'm super excited that you all are working on it. Let me ask you the two questions before you get out of here. If you're going to write some Python code, what editor do you use? Vim, forever. I cannot get out of it. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, have you tried? I mean, I usually recommend for people starting it to use, there is nice, like Eric, for example, this small IDE or Visual Code or something like PyCharm, for example. But uh, if you, I mean, I am really used to Vim, so I cannot get out of it uh, <laughs> in all sense. So please, if you know, help me. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's my ecosystem. So I think that it, that's the only thing that I require to, to do everything. So Yeah, cool. And then notable PyPI packages, maybe not necessarily the most popular, 
popular, but one that you've come across, you're like, oh, people should know about this. Yeah, well, of course, PySide 2. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but, uh, but in my, but during my studies, uh, I, I think that all this, the SciPy suite is something that is, it was a must. I mean, I, I couldn't do anything without NumPy, Matplotlib, all these things. So I'm really trying to follow in all the developments of uh, data science, for example, or the Jupyter Notebooks. I think that those are amazing for, for the Python community. And lately, uh, I think that the other day, listening to one of your podcasts, I, I discovered Black for <laughs> modifying the, the code. And it was really a game changer <laughs> because yeah, I had a cool. couple of files. And it was really, really nice. So yeah. Cool. Those are definitely good ones. All right, Christian. People are excited about Qt for Python. Final call to action, what do they do? So, okay. So at the moment, you can go to your terminal and just install PySide 2 and it started to try all the examples that we have inside. We are quite active on IRC. I personally promise you that I will be there at least <laughs> in working hours or something. But uh, I try to answer all the questions. Uh, we have a lot of users since we started the, the, the first wheel set. So if you have any questions, just go on IRC and we will be there. And also, it's quite important now that at, by the end of the year, we have the Qt World Summit, which is the yearly event of Qt. A lot of people go there, all the clients, all the new users, everything. And we have uh, two dates. One is in Boston, the 29th of, and 30th of October. Also, we will have the same event in Berlin. So I will be giving a, giving a talk on Qt for Python, which is called Mastering Qt for Python in 20 Minutes. So <laughs> if you really want to <laughs> to go to these events, maybe later you can share the link or something. Uh, I think that is a really nice event to, to know about Qt for Python and Qt in general. All right. Yeah, those are, those are great. Are you going to be at PyCon 2019? Uh, no. No, I, I didn't have the chance to, to go there. But yeah, I'm, I'm totally planning for next year because since the release was this year, we wanted to go there and try to talk when, once the, 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 the product is out, right? So yeah, <laughs> I think we will give it a try next year to uh, to maybe go to uh, a couple of Pycons in the US if we can and EuroPython maybe here in Europe. Excellent. Well, I hope to see you there and definitely the your conferences, uh, Cute World Summit, sounds interesting as well. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the show and uh, keep up the good work. I can't wait for that build deploy button. <laughs> Thanks to you. It was really a pleasure to be here. So yeah, we are looking forward to it. So, so. <laughs> All Stay right. tuned. <laughs> Great. Talk to you later. Thank you very much. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Our guest on this episode has been Christian Marrera Fredes, and it's been brought to you by Linode and Rollbar. Linode is bulletproof hosting for whatever you're building with Python. Get four months free at talkpython.fm slash Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E. Rollbar takes the pain out of errors. They give you the context and insight you need to quickly locate and fix errors that might have gone unnoticed until your users complained, of course. Track a ridiculous number of errors for free as TalkPython to me listeners at talkpython.fm slash Rollbar. Want to level up your Python? If you're just getting started, try my Python Jumpstart by building 10 apps or our brand new 100 Days of Code in Python. And if you're interested in more than one course, be sure to check out the Everything Bundle. It's like a subscription that never expires. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, Google Play feed at slash play, and direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.